Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining, and I guess a happy new year now that we're in 2022. There are a lot of twos. There are too many twos to say, but welcome to Godsplaining. I'm Father Jacob Bertrand. I am here today with our very own Father Gregory. Father Gregory, how you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I am in Gaming, Austria, visiting the community here at Franciscan University's campus, and it's going well. Um, the family with whom I spend most of my time is the family of a philosophy professor that I had when I was here in 2007, um, Maria Walter and her husband Tom. They have four kids, and they're awesome and hilarious. So, yes, I have been just living my best life, or the only life that I have to live, which I suppose is my best life. Technically speaking, it's also my worst life, but we're not going to get caught up in that consideration. How are you? Fine, I guess. Things are good. Uh, yeah, currently, I don't know what day it is. I know it's after the new year, um, but like today it's like 65 degrees in DC. And then tomorrow we're supposed to get two to six inches of snow. So it's awesome. <laughs> Loving that. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've just been, I, unlike you, I was going to say you're, you're such a world traveler, but I guess it's not really a world traveler when you're just staying on the continent. But, you know, I have not traveled. Uh, I got to visit my family earlier this month, month which was fun and then back for Christmas and then all so much of the community there are like 65 of us in the community here give or take a few and since a couple days after Christmas until like the beginning I don't know like a week basically for like a a week's period of time most of the community has been gone visiting their family all of the students and a lot of the priests so there have been like eight to ten of us in the house which honestly I've just loved it's just been super quiet and just nice, different pace, change of pace. I mean, you get, you kind of get ready for guys to come back, but it's also nice to just have a few, like, you know, quiet days, that sort of thing. So that's been that, you know, it's t- super exciting Big. and uh, ready to, uh, yeah, kick off this, this new year, which I'm sure will be, you know, all of the promises, all of the things that were promised to us for 2021, I'm sure will be filled in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> so here's hoping, you know. Yeah, boy. Did you did, looking forward? Did you make any New Year's resolutions? Ah, great question. I didn't make any New Year's resolutions. Maybe I ought to have. Um, I was hoping no, you said I can make some up, but yeah, <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that you did because I didn't either, and that would have been my answer. So I thought I was going to be clever, but <laughs> that fell flat on its face. So that's nah, all right. What well, can you do? I think we have a similar theory of inspiration. It comes from the Lord. <laughs> yeah, and most things don't matter. So <laughs> There's also that. Yeah. Well, great. Now that we've gotten all of that out of our system, uh, we're going to talk about what we're supposed to talk about, what we were planning to talk about in this episode. And that is to talk about the family, particularly the primacy or, or the, the centrality of the family um, in the church's sort of teaching and understanding of, of what the married life is and, the fa- and what family life is. I guess the, the idea for an episode on this topic was kind of spurred by the Christmas season with the, obviously Christmas and the nativity and then the feast of the Holy Family that followed the day after, after Christmas, so at least from a sort of more um, theological, spiritual, liturgical side of things. But also I think in the last handful of months, at least in this area near 
Washington, D.C., which is sometimes called the DMV, which I did not defer the district, Maryland and Virginia, um, which moving here, I didn't realize that was a thing, the DMV. So when I heard it, the first people don't say it all the time, but the first couple of times I heard it, people were talking about like the DMV. I was like, why are people talking about going to the Department of Motor Vehicles so often? And then I realized, aha, <laughs> it is not the Department of Motor. Well, it is also, but not in this in this case. But um, here in particularly Virginia with the gubernatorial race in, in November and um, there, there, well, there was a lot of debate there uh, with, with respect to public schools and the roles of families and parenting and, and what was being taught in the schools. And obviously this was divided along party lines and these sort of things. But that's all just to say that both, uh, both the ecclesial and secular context provided some sort of, I don't know, catalyst or muse to talk about, to talk about the family. So we thought we'd do that. Um, but emphasizing and reiterating the, the privileged role of the family uh, and sort of that, that, yeah, that prime, I don't know, the primacy that it has in our lives um, on a sort of familial level, but also on a sort of societal level. So to do that, we're, we'll first talk about a bit about marriage and about the the way by which um, the way by which the relation relationship between uh, husband and wife sets the foundation, obviously the beginning of a family and why that's important for the two of them. So the catechism talks when it talks about the family and perhaps this is a good way to set it up to at least step into the conversation. The, the catechism talks about the family as being the foundation for holiness in society. Um, and if the fi- family is the foundation for holiness in society, then it's also the foundation for holiness in our lives. Um, and the church talks about this by calling the family a domestic church. Um, and that the, that the, what is composed of family of husband, wife, father, mother, and children is sort of a locus for growing in holiness and sanctity. So I don't know, let's start talking about husband, wife, and kind of the, the foundation there, Father Gregory, if you want to tell us a bit about that. Uh, yes, I guess maybe my first thoughts are just uh, simple ones on the possibility of human communion. I think that maybe in the 21st century, our faith or our, our belief in the possibility of genuine human communion has been shaken a little bit. We're just not as convinced that, that people can love each other and that people can form a life together, or that commitments are of a real or meaningful sort, um, which is why it's so helpful to reaffirm the teaching of the church on these matters. But yeah, this, I mean, you, you alluded to the fact that the family is referred to as a domestic church. Um, the word that we use for church in Latin, which comes from the Greek, is ecclesia, which means called out of. And there's a sense in which all of us as human beings are called out of isolation and into communion. And when Pope St. John Paul II talks about this in the theology of the body, he talks about it in terms of uh, like our original solitude, so that Adam has a kind of reflexive recognition of the fact that he's made for friendship, he's made for communion, he's made for the sacrament of marriage. And he perhaps he comes to that recognition in the telling of the creation story in Genesis 2 as he realized all these things are unlike him and that he's made for one like him. And so there's something about the family, yeah, there's something about the family that's very reassuring or very encouraging, something that's very stabilizing. Um, I don't know, like, you know, many of us have had the experience of being sick, like you have a stomach bug for a day or two. And regardless of how old you are, like 5, 15, 55, uh, I, I suspect that most of us think of our mothers, like, I wish I were in a place where I felt safe, where I felt taken care of, where someone would make me toast, and like pour me ginger ale and, you know, like put on a nice movie for me. You know, there's a sense in which 
Family is where we belong. Family is where we're committed. Family is where we're home. And um, that has a, yeah, that is a huge way of, yeah, bringing about a kind of baseline sanctity in the lives of human beings. But um, yeah, yeah you, have, you have other thoughts. I have similar thoughts. Um, yeah, the first thought was when you were saying the stomach bug thing when you're like 50. I guess now that I've lived in religious life, when I get sick, I don't want anyone around me. Like, I don't even want people to know I exist. It's like, just leave me alone. But in that moment, you're absolutely right. that It's like, it's because, well, in many ways, in, in real ways, religious life, my brothers are not my, like, family in that sort of sense you know in parental sense but that does highlight the fact again of that sort of um that central foundational role of the family of the domestic church and when when there there's if you want to you can look it up on your own if you want or you just listen to us continue to talk about it but in the catechism in like the 1650s around that not the year but paragraph number 1650s the is where the catechism talks about the family and that's where uh, that's where the catechism talks about the family being a domestic church, um, where where it's described as the family is the place where um, the priesthood of the baptized is exercised in a particular way. And in that in that paragraph, um, it describes the family as the place where one learns endurance and the joy of work, fraternal love, generous, even repeated forgiveness, and above all divine worship and prayer and the offering of one's life. Uh, I think those last two are are pretty incredible. Um, I mean, they're all important things, but above all, divine worship and prayer. So obviously communing with God, um, living a Christian life, but also offering one's life um, for each other. Um, but also, you know, hopefully that translates over into offering one's life to our to our Lord. And we can see this particularly and especially in the in the sort of foundation of the family in in the relationship um, of of marriage uh, I guess the relationship of marriage in the institution of marriage um, when husband and wife are given to one another through the sacramental bond um, and uh, when when we talk about this the sort of role of husband and wife and giving each other one to the other um, I think it's important to touch on this point of um, like complementarity, uh, if that's, yeah, that's the right word, uh, for a second, and then to talk about what it is that, how it is that the marriage bond solidifies the foundation for the family. So I don't know, Father Gregory, on the complementarity thing, what, what, what's, I guess, important for us to, to pick up or understand? Yeah, I think, um, again, in the context of the family, each of us learns that what we contribute, or perhaps more basically, what we are, while different, is good. And I think you see that in the marriage bond, that Adam is looking for one like, him, like himself, um, but he encounters one who is other than he, and there's a, yeah, a kind of richness that arises from similarity and difference. So, you know, the, the, the equality is a baseline, and when St. Thomas Aquinas talks about the image of God, he says it's significant that Eve is taken from Adam's side, so she's not taken from his head, lest she rule over him. She's not taken from his feet, lest he rule over her. She's taken from his side that they might be, you know, kind of helpmates. Um, but that there's a recognition that there is difference, you know, uh, specifically for sexual procreation or procreation education of children, that uh, like the fruit of their love comes about in part as a result of their difference. And you can think about it that at the biological level, certainly. Um, but you think about it in spiritual terms, that a man and a woman, uh, you know, come together in the difference of their love and they kind of resolve the difference uh, in the context of their marriage. Uh, that's to speak, maybe just like a little bit abstractly, but keeping on, 
Um, and, and the fruit of that is creative, right? The fruit of that is creative. So, um, yeah, you can think about that in terms of our relationship with God. We're estranged from God by sin, but as a result of our incorporation into the divine family, to speak in somewhat analogical terms, right, uh, there is, you know, the, what's, what's born of that? Saints. And so, too, in the context of when a man and a woman love each other, there's a kind of basic difference that they're two different human beings. Uh, but a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are no longer two, but one flesh. So again, it's this fact of genuine human communion that arises out of difference on the basis of equality. Uh, well, yeah, which, which remains valid, remains possible even in the 21st century, despite, despite all obstacles to it. Yeah. Um, how about you? Yeah, when the church presents, I, I remember, I, I don't know if we took this, our canon law, and marriage we have a, a course that we take on canon law and marriage i don't remember we probably took it together i don't remember but usually you read canon law it's it's a book of ecclesial of church law and it's you know it's not terribly inspiring because it's law you know but there when it talks about <laughs> when the code talks about marriage um what how how the church presents marriage um in the code and it's the same in the catechism but it, it has this kind of beautiful definition and it starts by saying that the matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman established between themselves a partnership of the whole of life. Um, that line, a partnership of the whole of life, it's, um, you know, it's a whole definition of, of what marriage is, that one man gives himself wholly and completely to another woman, and this woman gives herself wholly and completely to this man, um, which if we think about what we were talking about just a second ago, um, that it is in the family, in the domestic church, that, that we are trained or one learns to worship, but also to offer one's life, that even this sort of establishment of the relationship um, is, is, the, is the establishment of, I guess, the effect in some way, if that makes sense, that even in entering into this, this uh, matrimonial relationship, one, one gives oneself so as to be, you know, so as to imitate our Lord, and as Father Gregory was talking about, so as to um, sort of be drawn into that Trinitarian, into that Trinitarian um, kind of familial reality um, that of, of knowing and loving. Um, and in the end, I guess, at least we can just spend a second on this, that like the purpose of marriage then be- between um, the husband, between husband and wife is twofold. And, and Father Gregory spoke about this a bit, but the, the first is, um, you know, the pursuit of holiness. And the second is the um, procreation and education of children, or to put it, I guess, in a more kind of appetible, less legalese kind of form. Um, it's the pursuit of holiness together, husband and wife, that results in, in new life and, and rearing new life. Um, and there's a, real, there's a real beauty to that. So, um, and, and that kind of sets the reality or the scene in which um, new life comes, but also new life in the spiritual sense, holiness, um, comes through this domestic church, through this foundation, which is established in, in the bond of marriage. So I don't know if you have more thoughts on, on those things, but there you have it, at least for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think um, certainly in the 20th century, I mean, up until the present day, I mean, there's always been consideration of this matter. Um, there's, there's always been philosophizing and theologizing on these two ends, right, or kind of two purposes of marriage. And I think that you, you know, like, what is it that distinguishes marriage? Is it that it is a friendship? No, because there are friendships which are non-matrimonial. But it's a peculiar kind of friendship, uh, one in which, like you said, you have the proper setting for rearing of new life, for bringing bringing saints into the world, uh, both in the physical order and, I mean, in the kind of natural order and then in the supernatural order. And 
when, so like when St. Thomas, for instance, talks about the sacraments, he sets up these little equivalences between natural landmarks and supernatural landmarks. And so he'll talk about like baptism is like supernatural birth. Uh, but when he talks about marriage, he says it's for precisely this reason, for filling out the ranks of the just. Um, and I think, you know, some people will read that and think that it's a little bit crass. You mean to tell me that the only purpose of marriage is for having tons of kids so that we can rule the earth? It's like, well, <laughs> yes, but no, um, just kidding. But seriously, uh, no, but there's a, there's a real dignity when you think about it in terms of engendering supernatural life as being an instrument or being a participant in God's plan of filling out the heavenly choirs, not because he needs heavenly choirs, but because it's good that there be heavenly choirs and that he delights in affording us the opportunity to attain to that great dignity. So, yeah, that's a thought. Yeah. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, we'll talk about, uh, I guess, the family more, particularly rather than just sort of marriage and husband and wife, but how children and the, the domestic church kind of function and live together. So, Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Welcome back to God's Planning. I'm Father Jacob Bertrand. I'm here with Father Gregory. We're talking about the primacy of the family, of the, what the church calls uh, the domestic church. I guess, the, uh, is that a bit tautological? The church calls it the domestic church. I, I don't know. <laughs> it, you're you're right. doing great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, yes, <laughs> that's, that's so appreciated. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> Totally lost my train of thought because of that. You know, we're not usually complimented. We don't usually, as if you've listened to the show, you know, we don't usually compliment each other. So I'm sure that res- wasn't really a compliment, but it still threw me for a loop. But <laughs> the the first half of the episode, we were talking about the the at least in in its foundation, the the role of the family in in and marriage in um, being a locus of or a school of holiness. Um, as I said at the top of the episode, the the Catechism talks about the family as the place where, um, amongst other things, where we learn uh, divine worship and prayer and the place where we learn to offer our lives for the sake of another. Really, I mean, we could say to love, to love God and to love neighbor. We talked a bit about uh, marriage, complementarity, institution of marriage, ends of marriage between husband and wife. Um, and one of those ends, or those two ends of marriage, the first uh, being pursuit of holiness, and the second, um, the uh, having children and rearing children and having a family. Um, but we're going to focus, I guess, more on that second one now and talk about the Christian family. One of the things we we sort of talked about it at the beginning or uh, the first half was is that the the family has this sort of analogical relation to to Trinitarian life that the family mirrors Trinitarian life, or we could even say that in, in ways that like the family mirrors um, Christ, at least in marriage, and then coming forth, you know, spilling forth into new life, that Christ's being, Christ being the bride and bridegroom and the church being the bride, that there, there are these real supernatural kind of analogs that the family uh, participates in. So I don't know, let's start drawing, flesh, fleshing that out a little bit, Father Gregory, if you have yeah. thoughts or comments. Yeah, I think, I mean, so St. Augustine kind of warns us about making 
too fast and loose an association between the Blessed Trinity and the family. And St. John Paul II reads that, and he's like, but also, though, there's some cool things that we can say. So, <laughs> um, you know, heads up, what we're talking about has some imprecision, but also, though, uh, one of the things that I think, uh, well, one of the things about St. Thomas's account of the Most Blessed Trinity, which I find most beautiful, is the way in which he describes the analogy of word and love, which I will not summarize here. I'll simply say this. When St. Thomas describes the manner in which the second person of the Most Blessed Trinity proceeds from the first, he says, you know, he proceeds like a, like a word. Um, you know, that's just typical Christian language. That's not particular to St. Thomas Aquinas. But then when he talks about the breathing forth, the spiration of the Holy Spirit, he says it's a word that breaks forth in love, right? Prorumpens in amore. And I think that there's a kind of dynamism at the heart of the Most Blessed Trinity that the Father begets the Son, Father and the Son, breathe forth the Holy Spirit, and that that sets the terms, as it were, for all created love. Not that created love can, to a, can attain to the dignity of that, but that, in a certain sense, we're meant to participate in our limited modes. So we're, we're to partake of that divine love in a creaturely way. And I think one of the ways in which you see that is the way in which uh, a man and a woman in their love actually beget you know, new life. And that that new life, you know, partakes of the nature of father and mother. So, I mean, like parents have this experience where they look at their children and they're like, holy smokes. And, and I mean, I should complete that thought before I move on to the next one. Um, they're like, holy smokes, this child is us. <laughs> and, and then whenever you, you know, you have like a little kid uh, and you're like toddling up, you know, in, into mass or something like that, all of the old women in the back of church will tell you that this child looks more like the father, this child looks more like the mother. Everyone has the sense that this is from you, and as a result of which, it's patterned on you. It's typified by you. And that is, on the one hand, very exciting, right? There's a real creative power endowed to father and mother. But it's also terrifying because father and mother can program that child with neuroses and, you know, like bizarre hangups and all kinds of strange preoccupations. Um, but like, who cares in a certain sense? That's just part of the limitation of human life. Because what's most important is that you can communicate to those children your love for the Lord, which I think is just, it's awesome. Like, you can give people God, uh, which is the most dignified and noble thing for which a human person can be instrumentalized. Um, yeah, I mean, you, 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 I mean, I don't know if I, well, you have a niece, uh, and you're, you're thinking about your niece in terms of your brother and his wife. What is that, what is that occasion for you in terms of, uh, yeah, just family life and having children? It, yeah, I, 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 first I didn't realize, I thought you were making an example. I didn't realize you were talking, oh, talking no. to me. Yes, I have a niece. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, my, my brother, who's just a bit younger than me, he had a, their daughter just turned five months a couple of days ago. So she's super, super small and super cute and does what five months old do. And, um, and as much as she like drools and eats and like poops and all of them, <laughs> like for some reason, when you're five months old are are acceptable and cute so uh she yep. does that but yeah i got to hang out with her the last couple weeks ago which is which is cool um but it does like seeing seeing um th this is my my brother's first child um and seeing having that opportunity to see just the way that changes people but also like the uh just the how what you were describing actually takes form that like here is somebody you know my brother um, and everybody else has had a child, but here's somebody who now has responsibility for this human being to introduce her to the world, to introduce her 
God willing to the Lord to introduce her to like things that are good and, and, and beautiful and, and holy and those sort of things. And you see that reality immediately present, even just in the way like a father or mother like picks up or like comforts a child that small. And there's, there's a real, um, there's a real kind of um, privilege and consequence there. And I don't mean like consequence in like a bad way, but like there, there's a real privilege and consequence to being, um, to being a parent. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's an incredible thing. And I think like the way this plays out too, and um, something else that we wanted to touch on is, is because of, um, I guess, I don't know, again, I, I know I've said this on other episodes, but it's such a kind of a cheap transition, but I'm going to use it anyways, that like society off, you know, we're under attack from so many angles. It's true. Um, but, you know, the way in which over the last how many decades society has attacked the the, the institution of the family, um, the church kind of says, hold on, you know, actually, in fact, the family is the, is the, at least what the catechism says, is the original cell or the foundation block of societal life, that it's in the context of the family that anybody learns to begin to participate and live well in society outside of family life. I think the the catechism, I was going to say the constitution, I think the, the catechism even <laughs> says that like family life is like, I think it says the initiation into life in society, um, which also th- then that kind of like, whoa, hold on, you know, so if things, if things are, or however things are done in the context of the family, these, you would tend to think that this is how it's going to spill over into the context of society. So if someone is, is, ta- is, is taught to love well and to offer one's life and to, you know, kind of taught to live a virtuous life, you would think that that would play out hopefully in a, in a larger context. And, but just the opposite's true too. So if family life is, is not valued or not prized or not protected and children are raised in, we could spell out a million different ways that this could be a problem with this in, within family life, we could see this being a problem too in, in societal life and, and in relationships that go beyond the family. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's on display as you were saying immediately when you see uh, like new kids or a young family, but also those those consequences aren't just like oh you have this weird quirk, but like if the family isn't kind of protected and and prized, then we see how it's not just like a oh, bad home life; it's like bad world in which we find ourselves. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had one follow on thought, maybe just a word of encouragement to parents because I think it can be. It can be discouraging to live in the 21st century when you have to provide for your children in a setting where many societal institutions are against uh, or seem to undermine uh, your attempts to infuse the life of faith into your kids. But I think that um, in a certain sense, you know, you, you, you can't have control over all the contingent material factors. You can have control over some. And I think there may be moments in which you're called to make heroic sacrifices in order to change educational institutions or in order to change physical location, in order to change whatever it might be, okay? But I think the baseline is that you model for your kids the faith. And I think a lot of parents think like, okay, if my kids were to walk away from the faith, that represents a failure of mine. I'd say like maybe, but maybe not. Um, What I think, you know, like how it affects your kids is downstream of basically how it affects your life. What your job is, to speak about it in somewhat crass terms, is to love the Lord. <laughs> you know, like your job is ongoing conversion. And one of the secondary effects of that ongoing conversion is that it validates the faith in the eyes of your children. It inspires your children to pursue the same. 
it encourages them in their own pursuit of holiness. Um, it makes it for them a real possibility. But you can't just set about like, okay, I'm going to do this for my kids. I'm going to do this for my kids. I'm going to do this for my kids. Because your kids want to be moved. I mean, in their, in their little heart of hearts, their kids want to be moved by a real witness, right? By somebody who is seen and then subsequently testifies. But that presumes that you have seen. So what that means is to desire the Lord for the Lord, which is something you can't fake. But the good news is all it really takes is, you know, a response to his grace and just showing up. So that means that parents are called to a life of prayer, a life of sacrament, a life of genuine Christian friendship, a life of some penance, a life of the study of the faith on their own terms, you know, and for love of the Lord. Because if you pursue the Lord in that way, the chances that your, your children will be moved to do the same are greater. Uh, statistically, will they be 100%? No. Um, and and if they, the children do fall away at some point in their lives, um, does that represent, again, a failure on your part? Not necessarily, maybe, hard to say, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's no way by which to optimize or maximize. It's, it's a matter of loving, and that's just a very, yeah, that's just a very haphazard business in this present day and age. So courage to parents, and uh, yeah, for sure, we're praying for you. Yeah, I think too, the, one of the things that we get caught up in a lot with respect to um, kind of like, am I doing the Lord's will discernment in like the, the lowest kind of thing, just like figure like, am I doing the right thing is, is that we look for metrics that are really beyond our control and like expectation management becomes part of the problem. Because even here, like as Father Gregory was saying that with your, with respect to family life and children is um, the end game is not to be able to sort of even in a even in the most kosher and kind of holy quote unquote ways um, to kind of brainwash your children or to make them become <laughs> kind of like robots and and being and doing good you know um, or to like basically not to control and manipulate but to prepare them to make good prudent holy virtuous choices and that as Father Gregory was saying um, comes from your own continued work at making good holy prudent um, you know, choices in your own life that model for, for your children, the next generation, as it were, um, what is, what is conducive to being a happy and, and, or happy and kind of flourishing human being, one that's not kind of controlled by rash emotions or kind of a, a world of relativistic debauchery, um, but one that actually sees a good and wants to pursue it and wants it, um, for itself. And I think another, I guess, just final word of encouragement is that, you know, as parents, um, and yeah, as, as parents raising children, you have, those are the, the rights and the duties that are yours are yours in virtue of being parents to, to, to introduce your children to the Lord, to introduce your children to, to virtue. And, and there's, that's a great responsibility, but also a great beauty and privilege. And um, it's not one for which you have to be unprepared. You know, grace is real and the, the marriage bond is real and the effects of, of marriage are real and of family life. And, um, you know, our Lord desires that. So we can at least have confidence that the Lord is working and moving and, and, and is, is, is sort of the reality underpinning, not sort of, he is the reality underpinning it all. So there you have it. Any, any final thoughts on, on the family as domestic church, primacy, et cetera, Father Gregory? Um, no, not really. Maybe just a, a little shout out to John and Sally, whose questions inspired uh, part of the episode. So prayers for you and pray for us. And yeah, that's, that's all I got. Great. 
Well, um, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you liked it or if you didn't, that's great. Uh, feel free to like, subscribe, do all of those things um, on whatever platform you are using to listen to the podcast on YouTube, um, Apple Podcasts, whatever they're all called. Uh, we appreciate that very much. Uh, we are now that the the Christmas season, Advent and Christmas season is starting to move past us. We'll be returning to our regular sort of schedule of live explaining and guest explaining, and of course our regular Thursday episodes. So stay tuned for upcoming content, um, and also keep an eye out and ear open for some upcoming events, um, in person events, retreats this summer. Um, so if you're looking for something to do, we'll be announcing those soon enough. So uh, stay. Uh, plugged in for that too. Of course, as always, thank you to our sponsors. And if you're interested in um, supporting the podcast, check out our Patreon page. So as always, thanks and God bless. Thanks for listening to Godsplaining, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.